A roundabout offers the chance to choose a destination, how fast or slow, how cautiously or bravely you approach it. A roundabout provides its users the opportunity as well as danger, but ultimately choice, much like life. Roundabout is a podcast about life, love, journeys, success and failure. Mostly a celebration of living life and making the most of an opportunity. Well, Jake, we're back for part two and I've titled this episode, The Millennium to MRCC. But before we start, I'm just wondering if you can give the audience your thoughts on Scott Morrison and the news regarding him in the past week or so. Firstly, probably not surprising. Like I think mm. over the, particularly over the period where the last three years when Scott Morrison won the 19 election and then lost the 22 election, there's there's uh, severe evidence suggesting that he has a really tough relationship with the truth. Mm. He doesn't he doesn't have a problem with fudging the books, so to speak. And this is what it looks like he's done uh, with uh, the governor general that he's picked. Uh, and they reckon the governor general was picked for a reason. Um, I think, and I was reading it earlier today, that all Governor-General's decisions were began to be gazetted in 94. So every time the Governor-General had a meeting, it would be written in a book or a ledger or an index. That stopped when this Governor-General came uh, into the position. But the second thing is it's systemic. Like if you we're, we're playing out the dying days of the climate wars yep. and the moment that uh, Rudd was sacked, in, sacked or resigned in 09... You know, mm. there was Rudd, there was Gillard, there was Abbott, who was a great opposition leader, but all he did was tear everything down. Then he was sacked by Morrison. Uh, he was sacked by, sorry, was torn down by Turnbull, and then Turnbull was torn down by Morrison. So mm. the level of trust and faith within politics, particularly leading up to the 22 election, had gone so low mm. that he's a system of a problem because democracy needs to be practiced. You know, we need to learn how to have the difficult debates and discussions without the polarities, the far left and the far right, and try and work in that sensible centre. So I think he's in a little bit of trouble. Whether anything will happen out of it, we'll mm. just have to see how that proceeds. So for the uneducated, which is me, what, so it, from the old Channel 9 news, it seems that he's signed off on things that he maybe shouldn't have. Is that the situation? Or Well, I think it's, more, it's bigger than that because he has gone out of his way. Like, put it this way, through the whole pandemic, Scott Morrison mm. and the federal government were canning Daniel Andrews for going out in front of the public every day and Andrews was saying, I need special powers. Yeah. I need bigger powers to make sure that people are safe and we can stop people from... And there's arguments about that too, stop people yeah. doing other stuff. While he was critiquing Andrews... He was doing exactly the same thing, except he wasn't telling anybody. So imagine what would have happened in 2019, and he went out, like Andrews did, in front of the Channel 9 News or all the media and said, mm. oh, I'm just going to make myself finance minister, or I'm just going to make myself the treasurer, or I'm just going to... Now, he didn't even tell some of his colleagues. Now, you've been in a workplace where you haven't been told the truth by... Uh, a colleague and I've been in the same place not for a long time mm. but the nature of trust and transparency which is the buttress of all democracy was washed away completely washed away yeah. okay so alright and look you know this is I'm not waging a political war here um, as you know I'm pretty apolitical I don't really you know I sit right in the middle of just be nice to each other and everything should be fine but unfortunately that's not the way of the world um, 
There was, so, a, there was a word generated in the 18, uh, 1890s by a French philosopher, I can't remember his name, called complexification. Yeah. So we put the um, complexity and fication together because mm. even at that point in the 1890s, there was so much information around that it was hard to get a systematic understanding that that was the best th thing to do. Now, we, if anything, there's, there's 100 million times more information now than there was when that word was um, put together in 1890. So I think that's worth pondering on. Mm. Everyone's political. It's just how you engage with it in a positive way to get a, a better outcome maybe. Yeah, that's that's a cool word. I'm going to look that up and um, have a little little. I'm going to find out who that dude is. Um, so just back to the millennium. Um, where were you on the 31st of December 1999? And as Prince said, did you party like it's 1999? Yeah, we we did. It was. Um, I was actually spent the millennial New Year uh, at the Outback Pioneer Caravan Park in Yalara. Oh, uh, oh well. I'd spent 1999 in St Kilda with my cousin Ange Modica and come back for a big family Christmas in 1999 in my parents' new place at the end of Wooga Road. And then with two cousins, Jared Murphy and Janine Murphy, we drove from Mildura to Yalara in three days, and uh, or two That's and a half actually, standard. and um, had a great time, had lots of chats, had a few drinks, um, mm. except for those that were driving, of course, and arrived into... Uh, the embracing arms of uh, my sister Lisa who was still living there and we yep. had a wild old party and there was two parties going on well there was parties everywhere mm. there was a the one that we had in the campground which was just a lot of people got together Mr Millennium was there there was this dude who did a whole show he dressed up as Mr Millennium and he kind of looked like looked like a um, a leprechaun but without <laughs> the beard It was, and he just ran around telling everyone he was Mr Millennium and handing wow. out goodies and lollies and all sorts of things I, I was imagining somebody dressed up like painted silver with silver like a robot type of silver no no outfit. no it was a different thing nah? but there okay. was a, there was a mythical party because I remember being in this, you'd remember the supermarket at Yalara it was yeah. chockers you know I think we arrived on the 28th so we spent 28th 29th 30th four yeah. days and there was people everywhere. and there's a big rave there's a big rave 70k's out there's a big rave behind Curtain Springs there's a rave here there's a rave there and couldn't find it we were dying to get out there and participate in this rave and mm. um my good friend Jonathan Evans, who you've met, mm -hmm. he was out there the same year but didn't even come into town. About 30 of them took all their own gear and they set up, I think it was on the Mitajulu side towards yeah. the WA border and had a massive rave with about 400 people in the middle of Australia for the millennial wow. new year. So that's where I was then. Okay. that's And I had no idea what the answer to that was. So that's um, And it's conjuring up so all kinds much of... Fun. The thing that I remember the most was about four o'clock in the morning, too many drinks, too many stories, and we'd wandered off to a a, um, a sand dune, and uh, there was about 40 of us, and there was one bottle of water. Oh. And everyone was getting... And you know, I have those moments sometimes, I'm going, this is our future. It's, we're going to be a country without water, you know? It's like, ah, don't do it, wow, don't do it. that's where it started. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's... Yeah, I... I, I there's so many things going through my head there. I'll, I'll sort of hit pause on my own brain and um, and continue on um, with your journey. So I guess to me, it feels like the millennium, the kick into 2000, brought opportunities for you. Um, it. Do you think that you made a conscious decision to educate yourself on politics as of the, not at the minute of the turn of the new century but or the new millennium, but... Do you think that era into the 2000 kicked you into 
chasing the political dream? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd always had opinions and it mm. always, you know, I remember some of the books that, you know, what was it? Ain't nobody's your business if you do the, absur the absurdities of consensual crimes in a free society. Well, I bought that in 93 <laughs> and just, and, and I became a proselytizer. You know, I mm. was a preacher. I said, you've got to know about this. You've got a right to choose. You made me read that book. Yeah. Um, but what I also worked out is that I'd worn myself out. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd taken big bo well I'm a I'm a healthy eater and so I, I sort of ate life in the same well and kind of gave yeah. myself a um, personal indigestion so when I got back from Dilly as we discussed um, last week mm. I ended up I was meant to move into a house in Darwin with my cousin Janine and Emma, my little sister who'd come up to uh, I feel like I know these people Darwin. well now you've met them <laughs> and um, and then I just I needed some I needed to move away from that Impulse to just bolt off into the into something else, yeah. And I think I explored that when we spoke last week. And mm. then, so I remember, drove back to Alice and uh, Tegan, a very close friend, that um, spent a lot of time with in that year before I went up to uh, into Dilly. And she said, "I oh, just stay here, just hang out." And I remember washing dishes with her and just saying, "I feel so soothed by washing dishes." And it, you know, reminded me of being a kid and we'd have to help mum. And I'd say, "I just need to go home." So I ended up coming back in late mm. two thousand, and. Um, really picked up the strings that I dropped when I finished my trade mm. at 92 and started working, which changed everything, like tie laying for the first time in a committed way. I'd done that in Melbourne, but it yeah. was sort of on and off, you know. Yep. Um, and, yeah, look, I guess there is a, you know, from, from the last chat we had, there's a, a seriously, glaringly fluorescent with fireworks on it, um theme running through things that we've we've spoken about and that you know that's that's family for you mm. from what i'm you know getting from you i mean as, as we know you and i know we've known each other a long time and and you know there's been um connection with your family um slightly digressing across from that um what is your most memorable memory of the noughties um so when i say the noughties i'm talking 2000 2009 so that's a that's a massive <laughs> massive <laughs> um time frame um and before you give me that um we are gonna just uh, my cat's scratching at the door so we're gonna take a a quick break um look brought to you all by outback memorabilia um if you ever want to buy memorabilia hit up facebook outback memorabilia um it's a pretty cool site and there's some cool things there um uh, we're gonna hit the pause we'll be back shortly and we're going to talk about the noughties. Okay, so we're back. I hope uh, in that time um, you've thought about writing down uh, Outback Memorabilia. Check that out. Um, yeah, as I said, Memorabilia site, lots of cool stuff there. Jump on. You can buy stuff or look at it or just, you know, enjoy the pictures. Um, so back to the noughties, the naughty noughties, well, maybe. Um, for, for, for me, it, it I'd come... It, it, my intense connection with family kept bringing me home so my biggest memory is meeting my partner Danielle like yep. we'd known each other before I left and we kind of just clicked as, as mates first and then it, and it moved on from there um, but also the work loving the town sharing that with the the, um, the woman that I fell in love with Danielle and moving away from my family and creating mm. my own family now that theme goes through 2000 to 2010 at a million miles an hour so yeah. um and and remembering spending so many wonderful 
you know, the photo of you and I on the top of the air conditioner from the roundabout yep. photo it was my 31st out at Wilger Road. And mm. even things like that, like there was a very comfortable about coming home. I was just still chasing things, but mm. not chasing with that intensity that I did. And yeah. it culminated for me and it really changed. You know, I'd travelled to Europe and I'd travelled to to the States and around Australia, but Danielle and I having fallen in love and, and then moving in very quickly together and then I, God forbid, I bought a house. You know, having I can't believe with you that you parted with your money. Finally. Yeah, <laughs> but also not only parting with my money, but also challenging myself to leave an older mindset behind, where I yeah. believed that it was only going to be a noose around my neck, where it's it's a form of freedom if you're responsible with how you borrow and do those sorts of things. So, Danielle and I, we we just clicked. It was it was it was phenomenal, and. Um, together for 18 months and then she was always going to go off and um to Cambodia and meet with um Rachel um Whitaker and Al Stevens her mm. husband and um Danielle said oh, well let's go together so we ended mm. up spending 10 months of 2003 in Southeast Asia and um yep. and once again it was me trying to square up with the past you know we were mm. going to we, we drove to Darwin and then we we're going to go to Timor and then we we're going to go through Indonesia into Southeast Asia but the Bali bombing happened 20 years shortly. Yep. And um, so we bypassed Indonesia because quite a few people at home were quite worried about it, as they should be. Yeah. It was a very difficult sure. and dangerous time. And we, um, I think we went to um, Brunei, Malaysia, mm. Thailand, Burma, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. And that really changed, it really cemented my relationship with Danielle, but sort of gave me a, an idea of how different uh, a part of the world that is so close to us was and it is so close isn't it like i mean i've been fortunate enough as well to sort of have a little wander around asia um myself um but i guess just coming back to that trip so i was living in adelaide at that time um forging a brilliant very short career in travel about five years um and Hard work, mate. Oh, God. wow. Yeah, I mean, starting work as a travel agent the first or the week of September 11, it was interesting. Mm. It was it was soul destroying. Yet it was it made it made me probably who I am right now. Um, honestly. Well, I keep reading about the Stoics, and it's amore fati or the love of fate. So mm. you were fated into a position where you had two choices: you could yeah. brood on it, or you could push yourself out into the world and say, "Well, this is what I've been delivered. How am I going to live with that?" Let's learn. And yep. ANSET collapsed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> just the same just week. Some sprinkles on top there. Total, yeah. total. Um, the boat trip that you guys took up the Mekong is that right? Yeah, the right yep, river. Yeah. Um, so that was I remember getting some secondhand info off your brother about um, the boat accidents. I remember, when, and we're talking two thousand and what three, three. Yeah, yeah. So Google was Google, but it wasn't Google no, as it is no. now. Well, Dan and I discussed this the other day because we we Danielle and I spent our twenty first uh, anniversary of getting together at SIP here in on Eight Street. Great, bar. and we we shout we, out we to told, SIP, by the way we, a huge shout out for SIP. They're great people. We um. We, we, we talked about major moments in our relationship for the 21 years. We had to go in for night two. Um, we only got to 2013 the first <laughs> night, I think. Um, but what we remembered is that there was a thing called the Thorn Tree, which was an aspect of the Lonely Planet book. Yep. So we had books and there was the Moon Guide, which was Indochina. But mm. 
whenever we Danielle's a massive researcher where I'm a bit more let's just see how it unfolds and that worked really well because you know uh, we could be flexible but there was things that we wanted to see when we did the research initially there was always questions about the border between um Laos and Cambodia yeah um they make you pay a lot of money to get by there's usually Mm -hmm. floods going on through there um but when we got there um, when we tried to get off Dondet, which is, translates as a thousand islands, Dondet mm. is this beautiful. It's where the Mekong Delta is the first time before it goes into Viet, uh, Cambodia and Vietnam. Yeah. We got on the boat at 6.15 in the morning. The guy that usually did it was hung over, so he didn't come. And the guy who did the boat took us about 15 minutes to go across something as about as broad as where the bridge is between Mildura and Baronga. And we just started to feel nervy. And then we had to haggle to get a cheap boat trip and we had to haggle to get a stamp in our they were just charging five and ten dollars us to do every everything you went through mm-hmm. i had a huge beard it wasn't white at that stage and one guy one uh Laotian or cambodian bloke said um you've been laden you've been laden you oh. and i and i said yeah mate the beard's growing i am and poor daniel nearly broke down you know oh, wow. too cheeky for my own good but then we got on the boat and the boats were about 12 foot long mm. and maybe 850 door width wide and we had all our stuff was packed onto the front and we were in the boat with a French couple and a Dutch couple. Um, and we're pinging along down the Mekong. We had to go from Dondet to Stun Trang, which they said was about 60 Ks. I don't oh. know, 50 minutes, 80 minutes. Imagine going 60 Ks up the Murray though. Yep. Like With a 2.2 turbo Camry engine on it. So they it. do the Mildura 100, so 50 Ks in, you know, at 40 minutes, breakneck yeah. speed. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe we're doing 45, 50 kilometers like now. Four or five hours or something. And the props were really long, like twice as long as a broom. And the prop yeah. hit something and spun off. So the inboard motors? No, 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 outboard. So the the, the big 2.2 oh, with, with a it. long stick on the back. Wow. And just okay. pinging it. Yeah. Um, and then the, the prop hit something. So the guys stopped and we're flopping through the river because it was quick running. And then yeah. we've moved close towards some trees. He was trying to crawl out and put a new prop on the back. The sides of the boats were only about eight inches high, 200 mil. Yeah. And then we've pushed sideways into a tree and the boat's starting to lean over. Then everybody leaned the other way. Naturally. He tied it up to a tree. Everybody fell out. Shit. Me and the and the guy who was steering the boat and the other Laotian woman ended up on the upturned boat. Mm. And Danielle and the um, French and uh, Belgian couple ended up in a tree about two and a half, three metres away, hanging onto a tree, just dragging in the water. Bloody hell. Um, we didn't lose anything because there was a big tarp or like, you know, those um, tradie mesh yeah, yeah, hooks yeah, over yeah. the thing. And we, we were there for an hour and a half. The trailer tidy? Is the trailer called? tidy, yeah, yeah. My grandfather, Gordon. <laughs> God bless you so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had one. And we and these boats, because they were belting past at, let's say, 50 kilometres an hour, yeah. they couldn't see us. It was loud. And then we're just sitting there. And, I, and Danielle said, I'd, all I did was just talk the whole time. Yeah. Sat on the boat saying, everything's okay, someone's coming, it'll be all right, let's do this. It was just like falling out of a kayak in mm. on the Gold Gold Creek in 1978, you know, because yeah. Mario and I had put ourselves in situations where we sort of had to, you know, think quick and get out of it. Um, yeah. the, the funny, it felt like a, a scene from um, Apocalypse Now or Heart of Darkness. That. There was this paddle steamer that started, you could hear it before you could see it because it was going against the current. You could just hear, chook, chook. And then, because it was going so slow, they've spotted us. We've waved them over. We flipped the boat. We got everybody into the boat. We flipped the boat over. um, Got everything out. Didn't lose anything. Um, 
the motor because it wasn't bolted to the boat just fell to the bottom of the ocean so the poor dude who was driving the boat didn't own it we found out so we ended up getting on this boat then we got another speedboat and they took us to stun trang um by the time we got to stun trang there was like 300 people waiting for us because they'd heard about the accident yeah so we've walked up this steep cliff and we had to lay all our everyone the six of us laid all our clothes and belongings out in this town square of stun trang to dry it um then we left, I left Danielle with the other people and I had to go and get signatures for us and the other couples to prove that we'd have an accident for insurance purposes with this little eight-year-old kid with partial English. So that was a pretty wild, wild time. And then we ended up with yeah. Rachel and Al for five weeks in Ratnakiri province in Ban Lung, which was just a different world. It was one of the most incredible things we've mm. done. We met them in the American cafe at about 7.30 in the evening. We're sitting there, dirt roads, and there's just a couple of Asian elephants wandering through the streets and carrying on. So the things you get to see and the pressure you put on yourself are always rewarded because there's a totally different outcome at the end of the day. And that's that's living life, isn't it? Sitting in a cafe just w- watching some elephants wander by. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, travel, every time we talk, I just, you know, and we do this often, we talk about travel and it um, it, it just makes me want to, you know, do a little bit more get on and wander on yeah but, but the, the, the interesting thing for me is is that is that was a day in about a tick under 280 days mm. that was the only thing that's the only day we had any problem yeah in the whole of our you know um march until november in southeast mm. asia in 2003 remembering sars was on and the iraq war started mm. and the bali bombing was the year before people were so generous and so lovely um, we got blessed the night before. I'm only just remembering this now. I'm wow. telling you the story. We went to meet the chief of one of the smaller villages on Don Det, yeah. and he was absolutely obsessed that I had hair on my chest. <laughs> so we had the local rice wine, and we had a meal with them. We sat in their hut, and he kept rubbing my chest and rubbing my arms, going, "Oh, you're a strong man. You've got lots of." And he didn't have a hair on his body. The poor bugger, or wow. the lucky bugger. I don't know. How do you judge Either that? Way. Um, so once again, we really explored some some really peculiar things which cemented our relationship um and gave us a hell of a lot of good stories to tell in in over the journey you know and isn't that amazing that as something as a at that point in time you're thinking wow this is the craziest and most negative thing it's happening in my life can then cement connect and is the mortar for the bricks that you you build moving forward yeah. family and so on and, yeah um yeah i mean even you know jackie and i with our travels um we were just always lucky nothing bad ever happened other than you know a couple of guns pulled on us in mexico but um, other other than that (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) that's that is a story i'll have to interview you down the track yeah we'll flip it Mm. for sure because i I wouldn't mind talking about that i I Um, think the other thing too is to understand the privilege we have to be able to make those choices And, and, and even from the our discussion last week is that at some point if you're um, living in the western world and you work hard you can get a result you can choose to do things like that Um, I I, and I don't want to sound um, condescending or anything but some people don't have that choice you know some of the people that we uh, stayed with or, or got to meet through Asia were, were in in that place and they weren't going anywhere and that was probably their lot for a long time. So mm. understanding that privilege is a really important thing to me. We're, we're so fortunate. Um, 
you know and that's oh, i think about it every day with the work that i do as you know um you know this is about you not me but uh, i every single day I'm, I'm greeted with a a new situation that makes me think you know uh, the, the dreaded facebook we look at that and someone's complaining because their sausage roll was cold from the bakery or whatever and you know what mate just move it on but mm. um hey, i'm gonna kick that negative stuff out of here and think about uh well talk about to you um this question have you ever googled yourself <laughs> and if so what did you find out about yourself um and before <laughs> you answer this i googled your name and i got this photograph came up oh is that the guy who does theater in new york we well, know it's a 20 something year old italian fella yeah he's a the I reckon there's a photo not too dissimilar to that on your parents' wall. Of oh, you could be, could be with the uh, the ja- the jacket there. The jag jacket, yeah. Anyway, he doesn't look like you, but I'll, I'll put that on um, the our new um, social media site when that hits, which is very soon. But um, it's a photo of a young, sort of cheesy looking kid. Could be Italian, could be from anywhere. But no, um, I, anyway, yeah. The, the, Have you googled yourself? I think there's a there's a stepped version of, of googling myself. And yeah. when I first googled myself 15 years ago, usually Jason Modica Tiling would come up with that really nice um, oh, the black graphic. Card. Yeah, the black card with that. the different the, the different graphics on it. Uh, but through through 2010 to now, I I Google myself occasionally and I watch videos that I've done. And and it's a it's a challenge because it's something kept in perpetuity. Um, yeah. And but not lately. No, I haven't no. because there's. I think from the position I'm in, what's worse than Googling is if if an article comes out or you're quoted and then the pile-on happens. Uh, And that's a part of the modern world. And like we're saying, we need to be resilient and accept fate for what it is. Mm. And you take it on board. But that's something that's been learnt um, to just deal with it. But I think everybody should Google themselves every now and then. If you Google me, this really cheesy um, Colleen Tierney picture comes up. (laughs) With like a silver tie, and it's just, it just, I don't know, it's hideous. I hope if I could bring Frank Google and delete it, get it out, Frank. Whatever. Anyway, it's, it was well, that'd be Frank Teeny, not Frank Google, I guess. But <laughs> um, shout out, Frank. Um, a now, what year did you run for council first up? Now, when I say council, I'm talking Mildura Rural City Council. What year was that? Uh, sixteen. But it should oh. have been 12. And there's a funny little story about that too. Yeah. But I'll go back just one more step. You, mm. you questioned me before we started about when the politics really kicked in. And I think yeah. as you'd move back and I did a full uh, year of economics and uh, politics at La Trobe. That's right. Um, and that really gave me... That's the first study I'd done since um, doing year 11. What year, sorry? Was that 2005, the year Luca was born. Yeah, so, okay. And yeah. it really um, encouraged by a lot of people. As you know, I was always keen on a discussion. Probably had a few bad learning habits. I was I very much dabbled in the conspiracy side of things for a long time. I thought that was interesting. That, that ability to say that you don't know gives you an out. Mm. You know, does that make sense mm. to you? Like mm. it just says, oh, well this looks like it's that clearly it is yeah. we go and do the research and something else might pop and you up find out maybe it is maybe it isn't yeah. and then I, I i really got into the tiling i i got a good business running for myself and then i employed people on and off mm. and I, I i struggled with employment uh employing people in the tougher aspects of it like i was i don't mm. think i was a great person i didn't know how to give the compliment and then the the clip behind the ear mm. for the want of a better phrase 
But I think it was you and Danielle when I started really getting heavily into politics, really lost it over Tony Abbott because I think he was a, quite a destructive and still is a destructive force in Australian politics. Yourself, my family, Danielle was saying, just bloody run for council. Just stop talking about it. Yep. You just don't shut your hole, get amongst it and do something. So yeah. leading up to the 12 election, uh, Mildura Rural City Council election, um, there's only about 12 people who ran. And mm. I kept on saying to Danielle, she said, don't talk about it, go and sign up. And me, in my naive way, kept on saying, yeah, I'll sign up tomorrow. I'll sign up tomorrow. You didn't want tomorrow. to pay the 40 bucks, did you? No, I did. I didn't. Well, the money, the the money didn't matter. The money didn't matter in the end. What it was, was it 40 bucks? I think it was 150. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just didn't matter in the and end. And I'll jump in and say, for a couple of years, I was like, man, just do it. Yeah. You, but, you want to, go but, do but it. But when I did... I said, look, I'm going to go at one o'clock today. Mm. And it was the Tuesday and it was the last day that you could sign up for 2012 Mildura Rural City Council election, which I probably would have done all right in. Um, turned up at one o'clock. The office had closed at 12. So this is one of the lessons that Danielle has really instilled in me is be prepared, mm. be organised, have a contingency. And that really wounded me. Like I I sort of spiraled. I didn't spiral out. I, I, just, I was pretty hard on myself. But by the time 2015 came... And uh, the education department wanted to bulldoze the old Nichols Point School and the mm. Rotunda and all that. Uh, community activism came about. By the time the start of 2016 came along, I was ready with the support with Danielle and the family to just jump on board. Um, so I got voted in nine, uh, eighth in 2016 um, with a great bunch of councillors and ended up becoming de- deputy mayor um, because I asked a lot of questions and there mm. wasn't there wasn't a procedure set by the the employed staff or the CEO to how the mayor was elected. It was just done by the people on board. As um, in, sorry, can I jump in? So it was like you decided that in a room or... Well, I would have thought that would have happened, but it, it seemed like or... it was a little bit of brokering behind the scenes. Ah, right. And so that's you're... all right, but it happens in... Like, I'm not trying to judge the situation yeah. because it happens in lots of different ways. There's nothing but wrong with it if that's what either the system way, is. Either way, yeah. Um, well, and different different people in different places generate different outcomes. But yeah. for me, you and what you and I have spoken about this quite a lot, so process-driven, is it because I'm a tiler mm. and I like things in straight lines with squares, well, square, maybe? Yeah, makes sense. Um, that we should get together. The person who wants to be mayor should make a pitch. Uh, the one who wants to be deputy mayor, you need to ask questions of your yeah. new colleagues because you probably haven't met a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and you became deputy mayor in the first year and it was the most phenomenally enlightening period it was like it was like the uni that i went to for the year in 2005 it was like that mm. but on steroids yeah. and with good people and but another thing that happened too is danielle and i really committed to um chasing down what we wanted because danielle went away in 2015 uh mm. to toowoomba to be a resident artist in a, in a toowoomba um it was sort of like an art small juror scenario. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. She went away for five months and I stayed with the with the kids for the first couple of months and then we went up there for five weeks and then came back and she went back for another two months. So there was this real commitment to each other's more deeply held desires rather than just committing to the other, one mm. being the house husband or the housewife or one going. So we, we kind of toyed with that and, and both of those things, her artistic work and and my want to be in politics were given a room to flourish mm. is that where that scar on your eyebrow came from i think we're in this shed mr Idell. yes um, we'll take a break <laughs> we're gonna um we're gonna, we'll let what? the cat back in um and we'll be back soon 
We'll tell um, you about that when we come back. We'll talk about that in a sec. All right, take it easy. Okay, so we're back. Um, we let the cat back in. Um, she's uh, happy. She's been fed and all's good. Um, so just talking about local council, Mildura Rural City Council. Um, mate, how would you describe your first term in local council? And forgive me for not knowing the answer to this question. Is it three or four years? It's four. So, yeah, how was your first four years in local council? Uh, enlightening, rewarding. Um, a massive challenge, uh, taxing on uh, Danielle, Luca and Scarlett yeah. because a lot of the time... And when I I was so fortunate to become deputy mayor and to be... So that means I go to audit and risk meetings and you go to everything that the mayor at the time, uh, Glenn Milne, couldn't go to, I would go mm. to or I'd be there with him or you'd meet people from... Um, local politicians and federal and state politicians. So, so Milne was the mayor? Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. And I should know that, but it was a few Oh, years no, ago. it's... Once again, um, uh, someone said to me the other day that if you've been in a football club for a long time, um, the whole world revolves around what's happening in that footy club. But the sure. moment you step out, it seems to disappear and you have this whole other life to live in. Local yeah. government's not dissimilar. Um, yeah. What I will say is that the volume of things that we have to know, the information that we have to be over, and then mm. the nine people elected who all have a different interpretation of that without your biases and your weaknesses and your strengths being brought to the table. So I think what I've learned the most in the first four years is that you're going to have some highs and lows, like I was deputy mayor yep. twice and, and missed out on being the mayor. I, um, I was lucky enough to do the Australian... Um, uh, company director's course, which was a five-week course with 26 other people from around the district who all mm. did it together, where you get to extrapolate really difficult questions in finances, in, in moral situations, in uh, conflict of interest and code of conduct. Mm. Or I put my hand up to do the Australian Conservation Foundation River Fellowship. So I've really bounced back and forward within the strict idea of roads, rates and rubbish or with the new Local Government Act of 2012, it's less prescriptive and it gives people a little bit more of an opportunity to build a vision for the future of what they might want to give. Mm. Um, and, and it doesn't matter where you are in the whole 79 councils in Victoria, there'll be multiple different versions of what people are trying to achieve. Um, biggest success, I think, is that we brought attention to issues with over allocation and overdevelopment in the river system. Um, once Ali to work with Ali Kappa was an absolute delight. But it, but everybody I got onto council with, mm. uh, I think we gelled initially, and then as you go through, if you have little uh, points of disagreement, like a family itself. Um, you know, sometimes relationships get better and sometimes mm. they get worse. And you just work around that for the benefit of the community. I think with Ali winning, and sorry to bring it back to raw politics, but once the state became a swinging seat, you've seen that I think Ali has bought um, as much money into Muldura, the state seat of Muldura, in four years as the previous National Party incumbent did in 12 years. Yeah. So you see that politics sometimes is about triangulation. And mm. saying we can do this, that, or the other thing. Um, we were lucky enough to present to the South Australian Royal Commission into Water, met Brett Walker and um, Richard Beasley, a couple of barristers who know the legislation of the Water Act and the Murray Darling Basin plan backwards. 
but once again, I'm focusing on that stuff. I, I do like complexity, and sometimes I think that's my biggest deficit is that I want to mm. say as much as I've been told in a very short period of time, and it just creates problems. I don't think there's anything wrong with um, learning the information and sharing the information. There, mm-hmm. like a, you know, I guess I don't know. For some reason, it just hit me like a, a primary school teacher. So they read. You know, Grug, the book Grug, and then they, they read that, then they read it to their kids. It's it's no different to reading the Water Act of 1906 or whatever, yeah, wherever yeah. that's from, right? And then sharing that information mm. uh, with, with the masses. Um, we're going to talk water and those things soon. But to put a finer edge on it, all the, and you've seen me buy all those books and mm. read all those books and do all that, chasing my own thoughts of who I was around the country and mm. parts of, uh, of other countries. The council gave me that opportunity to have some parameters. And, mm. and Danielle's occasionally said, um, you know, you grew up in love with your, your dad and his eight brothers and sisters and everything that they did. You've just replaced that with the, the nine, the, yourself and the eight members of plus council. One. Yeah, plus well, the CEO. So. Isn't that what they say you should... Um, or is that a Chinese proverb or, a, or, or theory that... Um, you, sh- you should replace yourself plus one. Mm. So I don't know. You know, maybe that's them with their two kid th- policy. Maybe I'm being indoctrinated there. I'm not sure, but well, I followed it because I've only got two kids. So but. yeah, I think the 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 one child only policy probably saved us a lot of grief <laughs> in uh, in resource um, consumption over the years. But I yeah, so. I think it to to be given those boundaries. You know, mm. that, that that's the biggest thing. But there was opportunities, and the other thing is you have to be when you're sitting down in the meeting, you're representing the 55,000 people in Mildura Rural City Council. You mm. need to have read your information. You need to have understood your information. You, you've, you've got to debate it if you feel inclined to, so which, in the affirmative or in the negative. It's, mm. it's been really, it's been an eye-opener, you know, with lots of positive things, but negative stuff too, because it's, it's, it's yeah. a workplace. It's tough. And I reckon, you know, look, you've adapted really well to it, to be honest. Um, and this is kind of straying off my line of questioning, but... Um, I, you know, when you actually did tell me, yep, I, I'm going to run there and, I, you know, we're going to sort of try and get on to council. And I was thinking to myself, well, let's just see what happens here. This could be bloody, it could go any which way. Um, and I think in a positive way, what you've done with, um, you know, what you know is, is bloody awesome. Um, uh, sort of moving forward on that, uh, real short question what have you learnt about public life or being in the public eye and when I say public eye I'm talking about Mildura centric here yep yep look I had a I, the, 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 what I think what I learnt the most is that you've got to back your judgement but what I also learned is there's a honeymoon period like when I yep. got on no one was talking about solar solar transition no um, it was happening, but it didn't have a spokesperson. So every other day, Chris Tester would ring me and say, oh, do you want to do another story about one of the solar farms with 770,000 panels that will just, you know, make Mars or Carlton United Brewery mm. offset their energy use? Yeah, yeah, let's do mm. that. Um, and I think I was complacent about that. I thought the phone would always ring and I thought that I would be able to just be uh, a congenial face to a story rather than having the the once again it's about the responsibility of the decision you've made mm. rather than having being able to answer the more difficult questions or be challenged and having to think on your feet or 
to say, I'm sorry, I don't know this this at this point in time. I will get back to you. So that's your your the craft of being a good uh, representative for the council while still representing your community. Yeah, and I think something you said there, uh, and and I kind of subscribe to that theory myself is if somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer don't bullshit the answer don't go oh yeah it's 2.7 percent of the gdp of the freaking whatever whatever it's not about that Mm. it's actually you know i don't know the answer but i'll go and find out and i'll get back to you and i know for a fact that um you know just through conversations we've had people have come to you and ask you questions that how would you ever know the answer Mm. but you I know you you do that and you do it well. You you sort of step back and go, okay, now I don't know the answer, mate, but I'll find out and I'll yeah. get back to you. And hey, but that's the that's the role. Yeah. Like, in the simplest of terms, if someone has a concern, and the other thing, there's there's a myriad of ways you can get you can be heard as well. Mm. Um, and once again, you know that I've always come from an activist background, so it's actually mm. quite easy for me. But there's individuals out there who are sometimes not even afraid. They're not even comfortable with the idea of asking a question of an organization that they have no idea about so we need to think about those people too Mm. um because not everybody has the ability to be the loudest voice in the room and you know both you and i've taken that mantle on the occasion more than once um hence the reason i don't work for a bank anymore um (laughs) in 2019 you ran against the big parties in the federal election uh under the banner of modica Famelli. um it was a great campaign in my opinion, um, I wore the T-shirt all around Thailand, actually. Um, yes, I remember receiving those uh, photos with you <laughs> somewhere with the Monica Famali on. I did. Um, and, you know, look, probably the locals were looking at me going, well, what the hell is that all about? But to me, it meant something. Um, what was the experience like battling the cashed-up National Party? Oh, it was... It was, it was for me, it was awe-inspiring from, firstly, Danielle, Luca and Scarlett and their 100% support. We had about 115 volunteers in a very quick period of time. I had financial support from family, friends and businesses. Um, what became quite apparent is that there's a comfortability within how the click-and-collect parties work and operate. And yep. that, that's... Uh, Liberal, Labor, National and Green uh, Mm. in that order is that you don't, and that's why I have so much time for independents. I don't like calling the independents that got in in the last federal election teals. They're not. They're community... I didn't like ...community-driven independent politicians who think for themselves, who build policy for themselves, who may build a coalition or Mm. not. Um, So we had all that and more. Um, Can I jump in there? Sorry. No, you're right. Bust you there but that teal thing look i love independence when i say i love independence i like the notion that people are brave enough to stand up and fight fight for what they believe in collectivizing them if that's even a word it probably isn't um it's it's like we're put trying to put these people in a basket again just how about let people be people so but that's a that's a classic divide and conquer from a from a party or a group who've traditionally held power in a certain region um, and it means that you tend not to debate on a different level, uh, on a broader level. Um, they can stand by uh, much more advertising or mm. even this year, Bensie and Siebert, who worked at the ABC, was on Media Watch because a lot of the press agencies around Mildura were just releasing 
all political parties, particularly the National Party's mm. press releases, without giving any editorial or journalistic content and giving that as a story. So you're not even interpreting their policy or their press release. Mm. So that means that our democracy isn't, and this taps back to the Morrison thing we started on earlier, yeah. we don't have the dialogue we need about things that are going on. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Andrew Broad and I got along sometimes and, you know, yeah. I remember talking to him about energy transition and water and mm. it just didn't seem important to him. You know, no. this was at the period where the Darling River had never had dried twice between 1900 and yeah. 2000 and then had 15 cease to flow events between 2000 and 2017 after an algal bloom that lasted nearly eight months in 1996. So something was clearly going wrong compared to the river that my grandfather drove up and mm. down when he was delivering the mail to Menindee in the 1950s. And my grandfather Ray back in there. Well, after the First World War, he was a, a real keen fisherman. Um, oh, they were always up there. I don't know if he liked drinking the beer more than throwing a line in, but probably both, both. to be honest. But so, so that the experience was uplifting, but physically demoralising because mm. of, you know, the kilometres we did, the money we spent. You know, we, you go down to Kahuna, you go down to Kahuna, call it up there, Maribor, you go across yep. to Edenhope. Mm. You know. In so, you know, Eden Hope is closer to Adelaide than Mildura, and it's closer to Warrnambool. So you wow. have to cover all these places, eighty-eight thousand square kilometres. Modica for Mali won Mildura. We won mm. eleven out of the twelve seats, and there was twenty-nine percent swings against the National Party. So that's why someone like Ali can be a progressive, mm. be a an animal rights activist, be a, a lawyer who works in. Um, domestic violence yeah. and have this great attraction and then put the runs on the board um, because we are a very progressive uh, cap to the seat of Mali or cap to the seat of Mildura. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend if anybody has the inclination and the time and they want to have a try and change the nature of how they think their country should be run, running for the a federal in a federal election will will give you so much to ponder mm. um, because you get dragged into that two parties. It's either Liberal or Labor. And it's yeah. never like that. When is every, anything ever that simple when you're trying to get something done? So I think it, particularly people of the Mali want more. They deserve more. We've been shown by Ali Kappa that a different version of politics can be done. What's next for the region could be anything, Corey. Yeah. Agree, mate. And You know, we're, we live in a bloody awesome part of this country um I've, I've sort of i guess lamented over the years that if mildura was on the beach this would be the greatest town in the world um i love the murray river with you know with all that it brings to us but um if we had a sort of three foot swell every every day it'd be it'd be unreal but anyway we don't um we'd be the gold coast then well yeah, <laughs> yeah. so look there's you know through the through the my time back in Mildura from 2000 is um you know there's been great great artistic events and great sport and and you know we're the we're the wealthiest horticultural and agricultural local government area in the whole of the country 1.12 billion dollars last year or the year before which is phenomenal but there's an x factor here you know we're on the we're in the the confluence of the Murray and the Darling Rivers you know we're that close to Mutawinji and the proper outback you know Mildura is 40 percent national park you know, mm. yes, it would be nice to have a beach, but I think all those other things add to this really unique... Wiperfeld National Park is just... It's, yeah. a, you know, or the, the Sunset Country, you used to ride your motorbike I've through there. I've been fortunate, mate, to, to ride the old motorbike through there. and 
It is stunning. And and the it's... stories that are being uncovered about how it was first colonised, mm. the station in the 1850s and then the Chafees in the 1880s, the success stories and the negatives, and then the waves of migrants. You know, we're really playing out a a um, post-industrialiser, a post-industrial revolution mm. relationship with developing a new colony. And yeah. um, my colleague, uh, and I've known Stefano for a long time, talks about Muldura's X Factor. Mm. You know, and he's a person that came to Melbourne and could have lived anywhere, but through... Mm. Um, his wife, uh, wife Donata, and then his love of the place he stayed and is exploring that X factor mm. that gives Mildura something very, very different. And a lot of people who come here that have never been here or don't have a relative or didn't come picking grapes at some point in the last 40 years go, yeah. why don't I know about this place? You know? So true, so true. Um, on the topic of Stefano, um, and look, a great man, he, he's bought some... Um, serious notoriety to our town. Um, I guess this is probably a shout out to uh, to what he's done um, as, a, as, as a chef or a cook, as he likes to call himself. Um, but what we'll do is we, we will take a break. Um, while we're doing that, just have a think about um, wandering down to Stefano's restaurant there, the cantina, if it's... Still, is it still called, it's called Stefano's? It's Stefano's now, Stefano's, I think. yeah, as it should be. Um, he's the man that made it. Um, we'll be back real soon. Okay, guys, we're back. I um, hope you checked out um, our back memorabilia on Facebook. It's too cool. Anyway, that's enough about that. Um, Jake, your first time as Deputy Mayor was incredibly productive, in my opinion. Um, it was positive. It was You were out and about. You were, you were everywhere. You were bloody working your butt off, um, uh, you know, I guess doing what the... I've got this sort of theory that the... You know, you might have the, the the manager and the assistant manager. Um, mm. I actually personally always enjoyed being the assistant manager way more than the manager yeah, yeah. In, in different jobs I've done. Um, but So in November 2019, it was widely tipped that you were going to become the mayor. Um, I think you've turned up to the, 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 the council meeting um, and that didn't eventuate. Um, are you happy to discuss that situation and just throw around what, what oh, you just look I think on the back of the federal election and one one thing that I didn't understand either when I put my hand up to run federally and say what I'd said behind closed doors in public mm. like to have to, a microphone like a megaphone saying yep. you know I put the National Party last on the head of cut last you know below Fraser Anning below Rise Up Australia Rise absolutely last yep well, they've got, they're never going to get in. They get 0. 0.3, 0.9, 1.1% of the vote. So it's yep. one of these straw man arguments. Oh, he, you know, he's preferenced racists, you know. Uh, well, they're never going to get in. How come we've got the worst uh, medical system mm. um, known to man and we don't have a, a good rail system is because we yep. haven't invested in it over the, the right period of time with federal and state money, not just one. Yeah. Because you only, only get... Trank, uh, you, don't, you don't only get picked off by... Um, state or federal government so you know mm. they play off against each other depending on who's yeah. in power too that three-tiered system is complex though, it is complex it, it is com but if it, if it, if everybody's on the same page and they're looking at the outcome rather than the turmoil of trying to make the decision you can mm. have a good outcome so i'd made from that from that glossy faced 46 year old that became deputy mayor and was yeah. the assistant manager i was looking at the photos today i actually. became i wouldn't say enemy number one but I, 
what I was saying was not disliked. There was 1,500 DL flyers dropped the week before the 19 election saying if Jason Modica is elected, he'll become a green overnight, he'll drain the river and he'll implement death taxes. Now, that was that's still legal to do. Now, that's illegal. And I came fourth. Maybe I could have got third if that didn't get put out. So this is the... And that was registered by someone who was a member of one of the one of the other parties. Um, the big one? The, well, yep, yep. So, so you sit back and you how, think... How is that... I mean... Well, some I know of... it's legal, but it's... it's, it's but it's like, shit, it's like defamation. Really, it? Like... It is. Anybody can defame whoever they want. It's usually the dude with the deep pockets. Like Lachlan Murdoch today is yep. going to take crikey to court yep. because they said, you know... Lachlan and Rupert, you had something to do with January the 6th. Yeah. So Rupert's pockets are deeper than anybody's. Mm. Take him to court. Yeah. Loves so it. I think a lot of the, th- you know, I got great support from the people who were like-minded with me from council to run and then to get through it. But by the time that mayoral election came along, things had changed and mm. um, the mayor at the time gave himself another year. And that's fine. That's that... Uh, Amori Fati, the love of fate. You know, mm. I'm lucky to have been through that. I'm lucky to have been to have to have been, been challenged to look at myself so deeply and say, "Wow, I think I coveted this a bit too much. Mm. I think I wanted it for the wrong reasons. Mm. I don't think I had the skills to do it. I don't even think I had the skills to do it the first time around because of how intense it is." to be in charge of a, of, a, of a group of people who were directing a CEO that runs a budget of $170 million. You know, it's, it's big, it's big stuff. Number. It's big huge. Number. But not only that, you've got 55,000 people in the, the voting rate pace who all, if you ask them individually, would have an opinion on every decision you made. Yeah. So to try and distill that. So yeah, it wasn't a good experience. Um, but there's, there's, there's many more things that I can take from it in a positive now than I ever thought I would. Yeah. And which you know, um, I guess you know. Congrats to you on on twisting the positive, and as you know, you know I sort of always try and do that myself. But just going back one step, um, so that afternoon, let's say it's I don't know three o'clock in the afternoon. It's a Thursday. You're thinking to yourself, "I'm here laying tiles or cutting veggies or whatever it was you were doing that at that point in time." And then you wander into the council chambers thinking, by 8 o'clock tonight, I'm going to be the mayor of Mildura. Um, or maybe you did think that, maybe you didn't. I'm not sure. Um, what, what, is there more to this? Like, did, did you think you were going to be the mayor that night? Oh, I thought, I th- yes, I did think that that would, would have happened. Okay. Mm. Um, and without, you know, look, I'm not trying to sort of get you to say something that you shouldn't, of course, but yeah I mean the, the, that must be pretty bloody flattening to... yeah, yeah very much so as I said it's uh, it was something that I didn't think would happen but that's I don't think at this point in time that's the purpose the no. purpose is that I, I I chose to take a difficult road in my life I chose yep. to represent people I chose to not be employed but be elected with a group of people that I believed I could do better for the community and as a whole I think that council did yeah that council of nine that were elected at the end of 16 we ended up getting the Mildura Future Ready Ahead which has created Mm. the Mildura Sporting even though it had started before uh, the development of the riverfront the drug and alcohol um, uh, facility facility that 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 Ali and the former mayor fought very very 40 38 million or 42 million that's a huge result Um, yeah Yeah, so yeah I understand your point but uh, you know 
to dwell in the darkness means that you'll it's be a futile, trog- you'll be it? a troglodyte. So. Yeah. yeah, no, agree, mate, agree, and we'll we'll sort of we'll pick that up and run. Um, so in two thousand and twenty, you became the mayor. Uh, November, I think two thousand twenty. Yep. Not sure of the date. Maybe twenty one. I was going to say eighteenth. Anyway, yep. I'm close. Um, you know, and I, as a very very proud friend, watched that. Um, I hooked my laptop up to the TV on the back deck. I was having a beer um, with, a, you know, my family, whatnot, and we we're sort of watching that. And um, for me, that was one of the most immensely proud moments in my life as a as a bloke. And I wasn't even the guy. I, yeah. I was just a, <laughs> someone that knew the guy. But um, so a month later, when you went to bed and you lie in bed and you go, fuck. I'm the mayor mm, of Mildura. Yeah, it was like that. It was so... How was that? Well, when we you you came out and we had a drink at Sip, um, I, I I really, having having walked these streets and driven these roads and laid the tiles and spilt blood on the streets and played mm. football, to, to think that, looking back on the, the last hour and a half or nearly two hours we've spent together, to, to reflect on the fact that I with the support of Danielle and the kids, put my hand up to do it off my own bat and their support and my, my original family's support. Mm. Original family's a strange way to say it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That I had the wherewithal to get there, to get through it, mm. you know, to to take a few um, harder hits, you know, particularly on the back of running federally. And it was, it was daunting as the chore itself, mm. but it was uplifting. But then to be overlaid with the second year of COVID... <laughs> It's just, it was kind of weird because yeah. I never got to have the year that I did as deputy mayor the first time, which was to be out and to be talking to people yep. and to be making contact. And I'm so proud of uh, Mayor Wood because he's doing yeah. that in his first year this year. He's, he he's really is. taking to it uh, like a duck to water. And sometimes I think um, that idea of um, being prepared to know that other people will be able to do the job. And that's what I said mm. before. Maybe I coveted it too much. Maybe I thought the actual position was more important than the job that you were doing, you know? And I'm just yeah. I'm just rationalising that now. But I loved I love the year. I, I I had some great conversations with Melbourne Melbourne radio people mm. ringing up saying, oh, how do you feel in Mildura? You know, you're just across the border, New South Wales lockdown, you're not. And you're, once again, trying to put that positive spin on the fact that it was a difficult year. Yeah. Uh, it's been a difficult two and a half years. Um but it was great to go through. It was hard work. Mm. And some of the things that you said before, like, you know, do you when you Google yourself, some of the criticism was um, quite challenging. I know one of the things, and happy to talk about it, is there was a... Um, the, the, the Sunraysia Daily was quite um, down on council when I first scathing, got onto council. Scathing, yes. Yep. And uh, there was a leak. Uh, an email I'd written, only sent to councillors, was leaked and then ended up on the front oh. page of the paper. Uh, and that was a huge challenge, but I tried to take the higher ground and say, okay, it's a leak. It's an anonymous leak. It could only mm. be one of X amount of people. Until they tell me who they are, I'm not even going to give it, give yeah. it, give it fire. But that still wears you down, you know. And that's why you need the support of good staff around you, good colleagues, good support systems from mm. your family and your friends. Yeah, that. Oh, mate. I mean, that's that must be massively disappointing though if you know if you've sent an email to you know between one and 20 people however many that is i'm not sure but uh, yeah that's 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 buddy that's tough um anyway we'll we'll kick the negativity out the door Second um 
like I love it. I just love kicking negativity. I'm <laughs> as a as a fifty year old bloody man. I'm just trying to roll with the positives in life. I think I think our lives are too short to worry about. You know, you, you can entertain negativity, but just don't give it too long. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so you're passionate about lots of topics. Um, you know, as we've sort of continued to say that you know we've we've known each other a long time. We've talked about lots of things um and i feel that i owe you the opportunity to discuss the things you want to talk about um you know we'll roll into you know we're not going to talk for seven hours about things here but um can we start by talking about corporate taxation Mm. you know i don't want to put a timeline on you but just throw me your thoughts on it look um I've read so many books on it. It's ridiculous. Um, there's a book called Dollarocracy, and it was written about the um, the period leading up to the selection of Obama before he ran and won in 2008. And I think both, and and this is rep, where it's replicated in Australia. It's just not on such a level. Is um, ten billion dollars was spent by um, corporates on entertaining who they were going to choose to run the United States of America. Wow. That's that's a huge amount of money. Um, in, 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 in Australia, through the John Howard years, the rules about how much you could donate and when you could donate were changed as well. Mm. Um, I think it became quite horrific. Barnaby Joyce came to Mildura in uh, February and I think there was a thousand, thousand, uh, $1,000 dinner event for him afterwards which was a fundraising thing yeah yeah i think so well you had to um, pay a thousand bucks well you could you could, if you were a supporter you could do that where, so that ta- where did that happen oh, i'm not quite sure but it's not wow. new so what's happening now is the system of government is 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 so heavily linked with big business yep. that a lot of the policy around taxation is being written not by people who are trying to get into their politicians here they're being written by lobbyists and people who work with mm. large corporations. I think one of the things that I always say to you is local government collects 3% of the taxes but supplies 23% of the services. I'm so glad you threw that in there because yeah. I couldn't remember the stats. But the other thing that's more disturbing is that in 2021, the federal government gave fossil fuel companies $11 billion. Okay? So that uh, that means that people that are on... So that's someone like Alan Joyce. They might be mm. on $12 million a year mm. and the chair of this fossil fuel company might be on half a million and he's got two other chairs. Yet your tax dollars is being given to a entity that has a board, a chair and a CEO that's there to manage risk. Mm. They're managing their risk by mm. putting their hand in your pocket. Okay. So the other thing too is that all 540 local governments in Australia only receive... billion, sorry, $2.1 billion Mm. from the federal government annually. It's not much of a number, is it? It's a terrible number. There's more that's given out, but that's what consistently comes. Remembering that that amount in real terms has dropped by about 1% of the federal budget to about 0.55% of the federal budget over a 30-year period. So you can see the trajectory of of lobbyists saying, oh, trickle-down economics works. Or if you if you pay big at the top, it'll come at the bottom. It just doesn't work that way. No. Unless you're on the front foot 
defending the people who can't defend themselves, talking about taxation and bank structures and all sorts of things like that, mm. uh, um, foreign investment, you just end up raising less tax receipts and usually the people down the bottom pay more. Mm. So that's huge for me. And the, the Australia Institute are having an event on the 6th of October that I want to go to in Canberra mm. that's talking about the lack of taxation revenue that's coming into the Australian government's coffers. Mm. But remembering when that happened, when all this trajectory of the lack of taxation is coming in, more money's been giving away to the wealthy. That third tier of Morrison's tax cuts really only gives money to people earning between one hundred and thirty to $255,000. Mm. So do you think they need it or the people on 26000 Mate, uh, as you know, and look, I'm sure that you could continue that conversation for 157 hours, <laughs> honestly. Like, and I love the um, passion that you have for that. Um, well, you, uh, you know, I've always got that reputation of being tight. And I'm tight because what I remember is I got, I, I bought Super when I was 19. Yeah. And, and someone tied life insurance to it and I didn't mm. pay it for five years mm. but I didn't cancel the, the life insurance so it ate away the $8,000 that I'd so I'm still yeah. I'm not angry about it now but geez in 1994 when I wanted that money to buy a car I was really angry for sure so I'm my, the old Italian in me with thanks dad and his father <laughs> goes how come you bloody ripped me off you know <laughs> so it's still there the other thing too is there's, there's so much being done on the peripheries to make wealthy people more wealthy that we forget that if you can if you can organize an olympic games if you can organize to have an international uh tax scheme in the cayman islands mm. why can't you organize to feed everybody and clothe everybody and educate it like what are the parameters here Corey? or even the fact mm. that ramsey ran our hospital mm. for 20 years as a company to make money first but they delivered a service in, how I'd much love... did that take out about a community over a 20-year period yeah I, I... I'd love, but in another way, I wouldn't love to see the the uh, like their balance sheet or their no their P and L like how much money they made. I actually don't want to see that they made money because that would make me sick. But um, now, thanks for stirring me up. I just feel <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I didn't know it's it. I love it. I mean, I you know what, and I hope people listening to this get as freaking annoyed as me about the fact that. Um, you know, we we need corporate business. We understand that. We need corporate. We need BHP. We need, you know, all these organisations to employ to run the, the the industries that they run. However, just I don't just know. to pay an equitable amount of taxation. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. But remembering, if you look at the gentleman who's just recently been the prime minister, uh, the president of the US. Mm. His notice of you know, he's no gentleman. No gentleman. The um, the bloke. Ge- the, the, the bloke, the fella. <laughs> um, his whole modus operandi. He was he he, he inherited three hundred and ninety billion dollars when he was like a twenty one mm. year old. He's never wanted for anything. His whole modus operandi, and this is permeated through the whole of the money world, is just to reduce taxation because yeah. people believe it's their right to take as much as they can on a finite planet. Yep. It doesn't add up. No. You, know, you can keep, you can quantitative ease until the cows come home, but if there's no water in the river, and I'm really fascinated at the moment mm. that the droughts happening in Asia and, and Europe, you know, we've yeah. been through this over five or six years ago. Are we on that precipice of the sixth great extinction? Are we at that end of the, pile, uh, the, the point where we really have put our head in a noose because of the population, 8 billion, 10 in another five or six years, yep. five or six, 10 or 20 years? 
and then the amount of resources we use to live the lives we live. But I'm questioning myself too. Yeah. You know, no, oh. I'm not I'm not just throwing it out onto everybody else. We all have to question how we might want to live if things get a bit weird. No. A hundred percent, mate. Um hey, last little topic which it's gonna be I don't think it's gonna be a short one. So <laughs> we're gonna take a real quick break. Um we're gonna just dive outside, smell the fresh air. Um we'll be right back and we're gonna talk about water. All right, guys, we're back. Um, I just had to go and water the plants, just make sure everything's okay out there. Um, Keep the aspidistra flying. Absolutely. And, you know, if we put water into plants, plants create oxygen. Oxygen helps us as human beings live. Everything's great. Um, Jake, we've gone from plants there to water, but I know you're incredibly learned around the topic of water. When I mean water, I don't mean water out of the tap. I mean the river system, the use of water, um, you know, almond farms, olive farms, table grapes, this and that. Um, Yeah. Tell us what you know. (laughs) What I know is that it's... um I had a we had a forum leading up to the state election in 2018 called the matter of water. Mm. Danielle helped me with that title, and it is a matter. You know, water is life, uh, as my good friend and colleague from Wentworth, Jay McAllister, always said. Go three days without it and see how you go. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, but but to me, it, it's it's a motive. It's it's the connection. It's the story of the chafies who came for water. It's the story of my Italian grandfather who. You know, he knew that if he got this far north, he could still get good water, but get his tomatoes to market three weeks earlier than everyone else and make more money in that three weeks than the rest of the year. Or my grandpa, Jack Nolan, you know, shooting up and down the flooded Darling or the Murray in the 50s. Mm. Um, So I grew up listening to stories about... It wasn't water availability back then. It was droughts and floods. But by the time I was 10, the last of the large catchments, Dartmouth, were built. And those, those... floods every two to three years disappeared so the whole system river system has been made to be a a working irrigation system and the best way to have a healthy river is to mimic the way it flowed prior to locks and weirs and barrages so um by the time i got onto council we were we were um we were post-millennial drought Growth had started coming back to the community, but there were some really big issues going on in the Darling. And I found through my connections, and you've heard through the stories that I've told over the last um, two weeks, that heavily connected to it in, a, in an oral tradition. These were the stories we told. So I just picked that up and ran with it and felt it was my responsibility to work out what was going on and why we couldn't come to some form of agreement um, within the basin states and the federal government. The funny thing is the Water Act did that and then the politics took over and deconstructed it in a similar way to large corporates control policy about money. Large Horton Ag Industries control mm-hmm. policy and narrative about water. Um, I don't think there's a problem with growing multiple different crops in the basin Mm. it's the volume that you put in and what they need in the driest year Um, and in some instances the anomaly that was the millennial drought is hugely scary if it happens again on the back of the 1300 percent growth in permanent plantings that we've seen in our region over the last 
15 years or 14 years. That's a huge number. I think from yeah. 40,000 hectares to 80,000 hectares in, in, you know, I think as much as was planted between 1900 to 2000 was planted between 2000 and 2015. So, yeah. but that that's because water is of value. There's mm. huge markets to the north of us and in Europe and America and South America. And I think sometimes we fall into the trap of believing that our systems, the, the Murray and the Darling is like, the Amazon or the Mississippi or the Nile where they're just going to keep pumping water mm. day and night. They do in the wettest of wet years. It's those dry years that, are we con- that we're concerned about. So for me, it's education. Mm. It's not being dragged into the debate and sticking to the narrative that those with a vested interest portray all the time. Um, it's also trying to deal with government position. A lot of people who work in the water industry for government agencies still say, oh, we shouldn't tell farmers what to grow. Um, mm. And I agree with that about 60% to about 60% because if you know there's going to be a drought and there's a drought that's predicted and climate change is saying that there's going to be less water coming into the system, it's mm. our responsibility to work out what we're going to do when we have 40% less water. You don't keep planting things. Yeah, so I think it's, it's a balanced thing. Yeah. But the complexity of it... S- sorry. The complexity of the politics. Because in essence, it rains in, it rains in the highlands in New South Wales and, and Victoria, or it rains mm. in the broad catchments of Queensland, and the water just distributes into South Australia. Simple. Yeah. That's the system. What's overlaid on it is the locks the weirs, the barrages, the unbundling of water. You know, in 1990, your water wasn't worth anything Mm. and your land and what was on it was worth something. And the idea of unbundling of water was to bring the biggest dollar return to every drop of water. Now, they've done that in in buckets. I was going to say spades, but buckets (laughs) works better. But what they didn't encounter, what they didn't consider when they unbundled slash privatised water, it it, Mm. it created a water gold rush that made everybody want to buy it. And now that tradable water mm. uh, is the most valuable thing in the basin. And do you think that, like that gold rush theory has just, it's almost like if you're a 30 acre table grape grower from Nichols Point, you're nearly getting outpriced, aren't you? Well, you can, well I think- How do you afford water? You, well, you got to make a lot of money. If so that means if you, So if you have a trade war with China, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to, um, buy or be gifted the property that your grandfather started from your father, you'll probably mm. do all right because mm. you've got collateral. But there's no way you and I are going to say, geez, there's heaps of money in buying water at um, $1,000 a temporary meg to go and grow gooseberries. It's just mm, not going to happen. No. Where there's a book written by an Australian journalist in the 1930s called Water to Gold. And Ernestine Hill travelled through this region and understood how important water was to make what's the so-called arid desert around the Murray River mm. bloom and blossom. And that's happened. It's happened in buckets. I think, again, sorry, I think it it's <laughs> the balance that we need to try and have and the communication. Do you remember Roy and HG's um, trip down the river? Was it Roy and HG or was it... Um, it was uh, just It was HG, Roy Slavin it? and Timothy no, Flannery. Roy. Yeah, yeah. And Tim Flannery. I bumped into him at uh, the coffee shop one morning there. And they went all. The, they went from the upper reaches of the border rivers in, yeah. uh, oh sorry, probably the Bow and Darling, down to the mouth. And Roy Slavin, uh, John Doyle is hilarious. He'd go, hmm, it seems that all the problems exist, exist upstream, and downstream, but nothing, no problems exist here. <laughs> so the, yeah. there's that idea of 
to me, it presents a really difficult challenge to bring equity to water, to bring all the states on board, but to also mm. realise there's a capacity of what we can grow coming into climate change mm. with the natural ephemerality of the Murray and the Darling Rivers. Yeah. So a bit of data that I always love, and you know I'm a data freak. Um, the average day at Mildura is uh, Mildura Weir is about mm. 8,000 megalitres of water a day. Yeah. They're taking the weir out, and they take the weir out when it's 40,000 megs oh. a day. Okay, so that's yeah. coming out in the next week. Yeah. In 2016, the fifth biggest flood since locks, weirs, and barrages, it was 110,000 megs a day. Mm. Wow. 1956, which is the biggest... Flood ever. Big, big, yeah. Well, they reckon 1871 was bigger. Oh, yeah. Um, 360,000 megalitres of water a day past where the weir went. Now, that is insane. And that's that ephemerality. Wow. There's an, an elasticity what, in the numbers. 1871? Well, 1871 was bigger than that. So that oh, was the wow. 56 numbers. So how do they track that, though? Not, not 100% sure, but I could yeah. look into that for you. Yeah. The other thing, too, is the mouth of the Murray had been open in different ways. It had never yep. closed until 1981. Prior to mm. locks, weirs, and barrages, on average, 16,000 gigalitres of water used to go out of the mouth. Now about um, a thousand, a thousand gigalitres go out annually. So for those that don't totally get that, what is a gigalitre? A gigalitre is um, I'll have to Google it. It's, it's, it's like a million. Tw- I think it's uh, a gigalitre is a million liters. Yeah, and a, so a million and a um, so a cup of coffee is about two hundred and fifty mil. Yeah. So four hundred million cups of coffee. That's a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to get some clarity. Yeah, Google that, that up. Yeah. But 400 million, like, I mean, you know, you can't even imagine 400 no, you can't. million well, cups of coffee, but... I interviewed... That's that's a lot. I interviewed a couple of old fishermen when I did the uh, River Fellowship. Hmm. Um, and they were talking about down Lake Kalala Rain and down Lindsay Island and down around those beautiful areas there. The floodplain's 25 kilometres across. Mm-hmm. You know, you've just... There's so much water, you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so as you know, uh, my family's been here for a bloody long time. Um, and water has been an integral part of everything we've sort of ever done. But I think just to wrap up, your knowledge on water um, is is you know as great as anyone that i would know yeah um have you got a stat there yeah yeah a, yeah. a, a megalitre mm. is a million liters of one million liters of water an amount of water that fits into a 10 by 10 by 10 cube wow and then the gigalitre is is and this is what happens we when i did the river fellowship people we, we created a term called gigababble yeah. Because when you get so scientific on it, people just want water in the river or they want a pump or they want to use their yeah. jet ski or they want a yeah. nice um, vista. Mm. When you start getting into the deeper politics, you actually forget what you're arguing about. It becomes this intense argument about, well, there used to be so much. Why is it not there anymore? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, the other interesting thing, there's been a few changes since the Labor government got voted in. Mm. Uh, they're being a little bit more sympathetic to the environment. Uh, and Richard Beasley, who I mentioned earlier, who's been he's been nominated to be the River Ambassador for South Australia, and he fought um, in the Royal Commission to to get more environmental water 
acknowledged and recognised mm. because of that corporate deconstruction of the Water Act from 2007. So, okay. so awesome. good things are happening. We're we're quite lucky with and the agencies we have, the Murray Darling Association, do a, have done a. There's things that haven't gone well, but they've done really good work in a statistical sense and creating data and analysis. They've been through a hell of a time. It was only created in 1911, and, sorry, 2011 and 12. So yeah. it's only a new agency. It's getting to deal with a, a total... The, the system was completely state-owned. You know, it was mm. water-run, and then it was thrown to the market. Um, and they say it's one of the most um, opaque markets you've ever seen too. So the mm. other difficult thing is... You know, we've got mates who still work on the farm. They're going to try and maybe go in and try and buy water. Yet there's water traders that sit in an office like you're sitting in front of your Apple now mm. who just chase the cheapest water all day. Meanwhile, yeah. the old school farmer's on his tractor. He's trying to get connection to uh, uh, to his phone to say, well, we can, we can I pick up 15 yeah. more megs or uh, so I can finish off this crop. So it seems to be skewed in some ways. Mm. But the other positive is, as I said before, and I, can't, I won't make light of this, is that we are the wealthiest local government association in the country with that $1.12 billion. Mm. That's on the back of water getting a better return for what we what we do. It's trying to get that balance right between the two. Because if your river's not healthy, you're going to have problems when it gets a very dry year. And I think yeah, there's absolutely. only about 10% of native fish left in the river systems because yeah. they thrive on that flow. Those mm. big pulses, soon as the soon as the water starts to come, they reckon the cod and the perch can smell it and they tear up river to spawn. And then when the rivers come yeah. back down, their eggs just flow through the whole system. Yeah. No, look, mate, I totally agree. Um, hey, thanks so much, mate. Your knowledge on water, um, your insight into the local council has been bloody fantastic. Um, I'm sure there are things that we could have, um, you know, sort of dragged out, but we haven't done that. We've we've punched on. Um, thanks so much again. Um, I really, really appreciate what 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 uh, what we've spoken about today. Um, let's hit delete. Uh, not delete. Let's hit stop. Um, no, and... I just I'd like to thank you. I think this is a really good thing, and I'm looking forward to hearing more. I'd really like to thank Danielle and my kids because they've, they've, with a lot of other friends and family, supported me to actually to make the challenge and then put your hand up when you need to do a bit of the harder work. And I think Absolutely. I avoided that through the '90s, but everyone's young once, so I, yeah. I take that as a as a gift. And we all, as as men, we're happy to go. You know what? Sometimes we're bloody dickheads, but generally <laughs> we're good dudes and um, we love our family to bits. So thanks, everyone. Um, hit Roundabout up. Um, Spotify will sort of talk to you. Um, hit like and all those bloody different things that you got to do. And, um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll be back real soon. But thanks so much, guys. Take it easy. Talk soon. Love each other. See you. Bye.